our study in the Gospel of Mark. And I think you will understand why, because we're celebrating something kind of special uh, later this week. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Micah. It's going to take you a few minutes to find the book of Micah. A little heads up, it's on page 779 in my Bible. Think about it, okay? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Charge. Remember that, remember that game? Charge. You guys are clearly, clearly missing out. The book of Micah, there's still a lot of pages that are turning. As I was eating my Lucky Charms this morning, it struck me, it's only five days from this morning. My dad, the eternal optimist, would say it's four days in a wake-up. That's all it is until Christmas Day where we have the privilege of celebrating um, the birth of our Messiah. The temptation, obviously, is that with all of the busyness around us, the activity, the motion, and the commotion, that we too easily miss the Messiah. We concentrate on our own stockings and the trees and the lights and the tinsel and the presents, and we miss out the true meaning. So that's why we want to pause this morning and just dedicate our time. I think it is so fitting and appropriate that we're able to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning as well as a reminder of why we cannot and should not ever miss the greatest gift that has ever been given. We need to, to pray as a family. Um, before, I just want to direct your attention to this little card that is in your bulletin. Okay, if you could take this little card out. Uh, don't leave it in your bulletin because you'll lose your bulletin. This card is actually not your card. Okay? This card belongs to your neighbor or your classmate or maybe your teacher um, or a colleague um, at work. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is find someone. Perhaps you've been praying for someone um, that you care about, that you've been building a relationship with. Uh, what I would encourage every single one of you to do is to take this card and this week, sometime before Thursday, go find that person and give this to them and invite them to come here, okay, on um, Thursday night at 6 o'clock as we celebrate, okay, Christmas Eve together. Uh, what we're really encouraging, and Aaron alluded to it, if you are a member or regular attender uh, and come on Friday night, please don't come to sit up here. Okay, we have one overflow, the youth room. We have two overflow uh, with video and sounds. So you'll be able to watch downstairs so that we leave this area for our guests. Um, we will have, Lord willing, a packed house uh, for a special candlelight service this coming Thursday night. So take that card, hold on to that, take that home with you. There's others that are available up front. If you have more than one friend, I heard some of you have more than one friend, you can take two or three cards as long as you give those out. Give those out. You're also going to give that person your seat as we welcome the community on Thursday night at 6 o'clock. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Um, our hearts, I know, are heavy for um, the Powell family. Pray especially for Billy and Donna. Uh, Donna's mom passed away just uh, this week. And the sad part, in addition to that, is that Billy's mom is also on the very last uh, stages of her life. And so they're alongside of Billy's mom in the hospital. So really, really difficult, challenging week. And I know that family pours out. So let's remember them, our brother and sister, in prayer as we dedicate our time to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, there is a sense of anticipation, and we, we are so grateful for the gift that has been given to us. Lord, in, in seasons and times of darkness, uh, you bring light. Um, Lord, we thank you for what this church is grounded upon, what it has been founded more than 30 years ago. Upon and that is the truth of the gospel that we live and exist and we breathe to share with others the good news. God, I am so grateful for every person that is here today, and I'm grateful, Lord, for you that are present with us and your word that is perfect. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would allow um, my, my words this morning to come alive so that they are your words. It says that when we speak, we are to speak the very oracles of God's. Lord, that is my prayer. I pray, Lord, for individuals that right now are sitting here and, and there's a thousand things racing through minds of lists and, and, and places they need to go and things they need to do. But God, quiet and calm and soothe and help us, Lord, to really focus. I'm grateful, Lord, that as we just sang, we can adore you, adore you more than anything else. Father, I do pray for our dear brother and sister, uh, Billy and Donna, um, with just such a, a difficult week and so close uh, to Christmas. I just pray, Lord, for strength and your presence and peace for them. Help us, Lord, to be alongside of them. Um, cannot completely fathom and imagine what they're going through uh, in just the course of one week. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have hope through Jesus. Help us, Lord, to fix our attention on you. May you be glorified in these moments. We ask this in the precious and perfect and holy name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 is where we will begin. <clears throat> Probably not a text that you typically think about going to for Christmas. Begin in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. We'll read down through the first part of verse 5. But you, but you, O, o Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. 
For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. As we focus this morning on this very special day that is coming up in just a, a few days, we, we direct our attention to the book of Micah. Uh, probably not a, a name even that you're familiar with, certainly not a, a book that you spend a lot of time in. The name Micah literally translates, the word Micah, it's a, it's a simple rhetorical question. The name Micah literally means who is like Yahweh? Who is like whenever you see the word Lord written and, and all letters, L-O-R-D, are capital, that's a reference to Yahweh. It's a rhetorical question. Who is like I am? Um, who is like um, God who absolutely is? There was no beginning. There is no end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who's like this one that, that rules and reigns over everything? Who is like Yahweh? No one is. Now, Micah is referred to as a minor prophet. It's minor only because it's a short book. It's a little book not because it's minor by way of importance. So that you know, he was a prophet that was a contemporary of both Hosea and Isaiah, <clears throat> excuse me, prophesied during the reign of several kings from about 750 B.C. to 680 B.C. And it's interesting that there's a major theme that winds its way through this little minor prophet Micah, and it is, it is a theme of judgment and doom and forgiveness and hope. Now, we won't have the time to exhaust it this morning, but Micah, you'll very quickly understand, is a challenging book to figure out. Experts and scholars and theologians admit that. The reason being is that it, it alternates between threats of doom and the promises of hope. And it's hard to figure out almost which situations he's referring to, how hope and doom connect or relate to one another. Personally, I believe it's arranged like that always with a purpose. And here's the purpose which really brings it to our first point this morning, where God and His people are concerned, there is always hope even in the midst of of the worst situations. Point number one, remember this. Don't miss the fact, as we are concentrating this morning in all the busyness, don't miss the Messiah. Don't miss the fact that through Christ, God offers hope in the midst of doom. Through Christ, God offers hope in the midst of doom. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past, regardless of whatever stupid decision you have made, place you have gone, thing that you have said that you so desperately regret, God always offers hope in that. Now, now Micah, understand like any prophet, Micah does not bring doom. What he's doing is that he's announcing doom. And doom comes, destruction comes, always connected to disobedience. The nation Israel had fallen like you and I do. We stumble into sin. 
They had fallen into idolatry once again, which one sin always leads to another. In Israel's case, the sin of idolatry led to, to coveting and to stealing and to oppression and, and pride. There's a summary statement. We can look a couple, a couple chapters back to Micah chapter 2. And it says this in verse 1, Woe to those who devise wickedness. Woe to those who work evil. They covet fields and they seize them. They oppress man and his house. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family... Listen to these words in verse 3 of Micah chapter 2. God Himself says, I am devising disaster. Can you imagine God, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, actually says these words in Micah chapter 2 and verse 3. I'm devising disaster for you. Now think about what's happening here. Because of Israel's idolatry, because of any one of ours disobedience, do you realize that, that there's consequences to that? For the wages of sin is death. And that's, that's exactly what happened. There was a painful blow. There was bad news. But if you look at Israel's history, that is exactly what happened. After Micah made this, this prophecy in 722, Jerusalem went into exile in Babylon, and they suffered in a horrible situation, in the darkest and worst of circumstances. And so with that, we say what? Merry Christmas to everyone. God has a message of doom for you. What's going on here? Isn't this supposed to be a good week? Isn't this a time that we like focus on this little baby in a manger and gifts are, are wrapped up? Wait a minute. Gifts mean something and they matter when it's something that you desperately need. Some of you this week are shopping for friends and family members, loved ones. And you're perplexed to find something for them that they really, really want or, or that they really, really need. Now what I found is what? If, if a guy has 21 pairs of shoes and you buy them another pair of shoes, that's nice. Thank you so much. That's exactly what I really, really wanted. Well, it, it almost doesn't make sense. But if you watch, if you have no shoes at all, your feet are blistered and sore, and someone gives you a pair, what well, it makes it makes all the difference in the world. That's something. That's thank you so much for that gift. You don't you don't you don't know how much it means. Now it's hard for us to even think that because we have closets filled. But when we look at our own spiritual condition, some of you at this very moment, you examine your own hearts. And you know just like the nation Israel, there are what? There are these portions in your hearts of idolatry, of disobedience, of sin. There's pockets in there of darkness that you don't want anyone else to see. As a matter of fact, no one else even knows what's in there. We know the result. We know, according to what it says in Scripture, whom the Lord loves, 
He corrects. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. God says, I'm devising disaster. It's a dark situation. But what? That's when the light makes all the difference in the world. That, in a sense, is the contrast that we speak of. We have this idea that that there's the littleness of the town of Bethlehem. Scarcely worth counting, it says, among the clans of Judah. So tiny, you're not even numbered with the rest of the tribes. But there's this, there's this contrast between how little Bethlehem is with how big the one that's going to come from Bethlehem. Which brings us to our second point this morning, that we can't miss the fact, don't miss out that in Christ, God takes something that is very, very tiny, like Bethlehem, and makes it great. God specializes in this. Don't don't miss the fact this morning that when you are in Christ, it doesn't matter. Those little tiny ones that we're sinking up here, God loves to take little ones and do something great with them. The reason that God chose Bethlehem is because it was a small, quiet, obscure, out-of-the-way place. But it's a little place like Bethlehem that God chose to host an event that changes the course of the entire history of the world. And God loves to do this. God loves to, to make something great out of something that is not so great. Why? So that, that one can never boast in the merits of ourselves, but we can only boast in what God is doing. And we see this kind of idea, this theme, all the way, all the way through the pages of Scripture. I love how it says in Isaiah chapter 61 that, that, that God, it says, will give unto them beauty for ashes. Ashes are what? We clean out our fireplace and we throw the ashes out. There's nothing. It's dirt. And yet God is the one who, who takes ashes and molds it and makes it into something that is perfect and beautiful. I love how it says in Genesis chapter 50, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Horrible circumstances that some of you have have suffered at the hands of the result of others. God can take horrible circumstances and turn it into something that is great. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You, you, you trace the stories of Scripture. And you see how God does this all the time. One man, one family, one nation, that God in a sense chose 
that impacts, even to this day, the entire world. One man like Abraham with no kids, an old man, and he is to be the father of an entire nation? Well, God specializes in stuff like that. God takes a slave like Joseph to become the ruler over all. A fugitive like Moses to lead his people to freedom. A boy, a shepherd boy to defeat a giant. A slingshot against a sword and a spear. A rough fisherman like Peter who becomes a follower and a mighty preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ, a converted terrorist like Paul to launch the greatest missionary endeavor the world has ever known. We see this all the way from shepherds to angels, from corrupt leaders to wise men. God uses what He wants to use to fulfill every tiny detail of His entire plan. A blind man that is made to see, a crippled man that is made to walk, a few fish and a few loaves that feed thousands of people, a thief's cross and a tortured criminal's crucifixion for the only person that has never sinned in his entire life. That's Jesus. A borrowed tomb a rock that is way too big to be moved, moving from death to life, a nail-scarred hand, a small group of scared Christians transformed by the Spirit of God literally shook, it says, rocked the world with good news. From mangers to mustard seeds, God does not stop. God delights in taking that which is tiny, that which is obscure, that which is invisible, and He shapes it and molds it into the fulfillment of His perfect will. In Micah, we see the Sovereign Lord and this little minor prophet who scatters His people because of their transgressions and their sins. But in Micah, we also see the Shepherd King. The Shepherd King what does the shepherd do? He gathers together and he protects and ultimately he forgives. You know, there's still, there's still something that, that is missing here, though. There's still tension with this whole idea of Bethlehem. We know that from ancient days, Bethlehem, get ready from you. Little tiny Bethlehem, not, not even big enough to be counted from you. It's going to come. Now fast forward 700 years. Move from the book of Micah to where you know that we're going to go this time of the year. Go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and in chapter 2. I want you to see these words for yourself. Seven words I want you to, to, to have your, your mind fixed on, your eyes fall upon the page. Luke chapter 2, we pick it up in verse 3. And, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem. There's the same little town because he was of the house and lineage of David's. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with childs. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and they laid him in a manger because there was... Here's these next seven words. They are the saddest words in all of Scripture. No place for them in the end. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, back up. 700 years before this, these people are told to be looking. They understood it. They, they had been taught this since childhood. People knew all about the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah. The prophet Mike had told them these words. He had given them this hope. That's what we, that's what we, that's what we wake up. We wake up for the hope of the next day. They were living with that hope. They expected one to come to rescue them from ancient of days. They've been learning this. And then what? What happens? The same thing. Same thing that happened in Bethlehem that night is what happens in our own hearts and homes all the time. It says that Bethlehem was probably tops 10,000 people. Because of the census that was taken, everyone's coming. Family members, cousins, aunts, and uncles. They say that little Bethlehem swelled to about 100,000 people, 10 times. Little tiny town. Crazy, crazy busy. And, and, and people are kind of elbowing one another and with the animals, the, the, the mud and the manure, and kids running, cousins that haven't seen one another for a while. Some of you are traveling this week to get together with families. It's so good to see. And there's so much noise and so much commotion that it's, it's pretty easy in a hundred thousand people to miss this broad-shouldered young carpenter, Joseph, and his pregnant betrothed, Mary. It's pretty, it's pretty hard. When you got lights to hang and you got, you got lists to check off and you got things to buy and places to go and stuff to bake. It's pretty easy. Goodness gracious, it's hard to find a parking spot in some of the stores and the malls. And, and we hate waiting in lines. But waiting in lines, God has placed you next to someone who, just like in your own hearts, but we are stuck in sin. And that's why we launch. We literally launch into these next couple days. And we are thrilled that, that we, what? We can't miss the fact that there is what? We can't miss the fact that there's hope in the middle of the doom. We can't miss the fact that God loves to take something that is so tiny, small, and turn it into something so great. They missed Bethlehem 
failed the test, to be perfectly honest. Fast forward 30 years from Bethlehem, and Jesus in his own ministry is preaching and proclaiming the good news. What is the the word that Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 58? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, you, you know it, you can finish the verse. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Thirty years later, he was despised and rejected, the prophet Isaiah said. Do you see that? It, it's easy to miss a, a young couple in a crowd of 100,000. Well, well, Jesus, God Himself incarnate, the greatest miracle ever. And people miss the message, just like you and I miss the message. Now, the amazing truth to this, and we conclude with this thought, is that although we stumble, although we fall short, Although we are acutely aware of the doom and the destruction that we deserve because we are sinners. I love the words from John chapter 14 and verse 2 where Jesus Christ himself is speaking. And he says this to you. And he says this to me. One who has been shut out. One who has been forgotten about. One who has been despised and rejected. And yet Jesus, in His grace, lavished in love with mercies that are new every day, says this in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Jesus says, If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. Realize, you realize what that is saying? Although we in our business miss all over the place, we miss God saying, What? I have something. I have something to offer you. May, may we hold on to that this, this season? This season. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going. And I am preparing a place for you. That is a place of eternal glory. Let's, let's the opulence of heaven, the feast of the Lamb we look forward to in the golden streets. Let, let's put all of that aside. We get to be in His presence. We get to cast ourselves at His feet. Say thank you that although we deserve doom and destruction only through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb that was sacrificed without blemish for us. With that idea, we have the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that we have this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a reminder because, you see, that's, that's why we need to be reminded not to miss the Messiah. We, we miss Him all over the place. We live our lives as if it's our life. 
as opposed to offering it to Him. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that we would get so busy that we would forget. We forget all the time. And that's why He gave to us this visible lesson to remind us. Right before, right before Jesus was betrayed and arrested and tried in a, a mock, silly trial, he had no opportunity. There was nothing that he was guilty of, and yet they, they create some lies. Before he was tortured and beat and nailed on that cross, he was sitting with his disciples, and there was bread, and, and they used it as a, as a lesson so that they don't forget. Jesus took the bread, and he broke it. He showed it as he broke it. He broke it, and he said, this is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken for you. A prophetic statement. That's exactly what happens. Don't forget what I will do for you. It says after he broke the bread, it says they took the cup and he poured the cup out and he said, this is a picture of my blood. Just as he poured this, my blood's going to be poured out for you. They understood about what? When, when something sinful. Something has to pay for that sin. Every sin has a consequence. Something has to die in order for bloods. Jesus said, I'm willing to die so that you can live. Again, there's what? We see that all the way through Scripture. God loves to take something that is what? Debt. We're dead in our sins. He says, I can forgive you if you accept the gift that is given. And you can live for me and with me. We have two ordinances that we are commanded to remember regularly. That is communion first and foremost. And then at the point or after the point of salvation is baptism. Both direct our attention to the death of Christ. And so we as a church regularly do this. And I invite you as a believer to participate. It doesn't matter if you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church. That's okay. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord is Savior of your life, you desire to walk in obedience to Him, this is for you. Please take this. But let me also caution you that you don't take this because you're sitting next to someone else who is and you don't want to be embarrassed. Don't, don't take it for that reason. It's too important. This is a picture of the body and the blood of Christ. Only take this if you've received Him. And if you've not, then at this very moment, in, in the quietness of your own heart, at this very moment, you can say, Lord, I believe You. I trust You. I accept the gift that is given. I want to follow You. Then you can do that. I'm going to have the elders come, the elders that are here this morning to assist me. And they're going to serve you. First, the, the bread... And then we're going to ask God's blessing on both elements, the bread and the cup. Then we'll serve you the cup and uh, we will rejoice, remembering, not missing the message of the Messiah.
as we come now into your presence, we acknowledge that this bread is a picture of your body. We acknowledge, Lord, that the cup that we're about to receive is a picture of your blood. God, we take this out of obedience to you and to your word. Father, as a reminder that we, we must never, ever forget thank you for the sacrifice that was offered, that you were perfect without sin, and you took the place that we deserve. And you died, you suffered, you died according to your heavenly Father's perfect will. And we are most grateful for the grace that has been extended. We ask, Lord, that you bless this that you would create a renewed awareness in our minds that we move throughout the course of these next few days and weeks, even into this next year, with a gratefulness, a gratitude that is unmeasured from, from, from prior to this moment. We would hold tight to this gift. Thank you for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. says uh, Paul is writing instruction on the Lord's Supper to the church at Corinth and he said on the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me
reminded of that verse, be still and know that I am God. Praise God for moments just like this. It says, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Mark's gospel, it's recorded, they sang a hymn before they left that room together. And so that's what we're going to do. And Craig's going to lead us. <laughs> 